Welcome to Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. This is episode 12, and I'm Andrew. And I am Eli. And hey, we're excited to be here. Eli, this is going to be our best mini-series yet. I'm really excited. Um, for those of listeners of you who didn't know that we have had mini-series, they <laughs> have been fairly mini. I think two episodes each. Yes, but, it's our third mini-series. It's felt like a lot. <laughs> but we have a we have a couple in the pipeline here, so yeah. I'm excited. This is this is gonna be great. Should we just All dive right. right in? Let's go for it. All right. So uh we mentioned this um in kind of our non episode that was recently uh not long ago released about what's Table coming talk. up. But um we're gonna be talking about the North Caucasus in the arts or the arts in the North Caucasus, the humanities. And in order, we're gonna discuss film. Music and literature. And maybe a, an add-on with dance. We haven't really talked about that. Yes, and that's happening. And it's going to be more than three episodes because there's a lot of content to cover. Um, but yeah, this is great. Um, so let's start, we're going to start with film. Um, I personally am real excited about talking about film because I've watched a bunch of films to prepare for this podcast. And I learned a lot about the Caucasus. I'm interested to hear if these were the kind of like kick off your shoes and make some popcorn entertainment kind of things, or if these were heavy hitting, because when you get into film, you realize that like there's, there's entertainment stuff that I watch as a diversion. And then there's films that are, are really say something or very challenging. And, uh, so I'm interested. It's a little bit of everything. We got something Uh for everybody. Um, (laughs) So, you know, what got, Eli, what got me thinking about this was um, recently I read a really interesting article about a Kabardine man, uh, Kantemir Balagov, who he um, recently, he's a film director, and he won some awards at the Cannes Festival for a, f- a film he uh, released. And so Which this is, is, a, this is that's, it's, that's amazing. it's huge, yeah. Uh, and it's really big because he's from not far from where we live. He's from the North Caucasus. He's from the city of Nalchik in Kabardino-Balkaria. Um, and it may, it got me to start thinking, you know, is there a history of like famous directors or actors uh-huh. or right. coming out of the Caucasus or films made featuring the Caucasus? Um, so yeah, we're going to dive right into that. Uh, we will have a link. There's a really fascinating article about this Kabardian director, Kabardian director, Kantemir Balagov, that'll be in the show notes, listeners. Uh, so make sure to check that out. It's v- very well written. Um, Can you spell yeah, so, uh, K-A-N-T-E-M-I-R, Kantemir Balagov, B-A-L-A-G-O-V, in case that wasn't uh, intuitive for you guys right. listening. Um, <laughs> and do you know when he won his awards? At it, it was, it was uh, this summer. Yeah. Wow. Summer, summer 2017. This okay, past cool. summer. Yeah. So this is very uh kind of recent. Um so kind of a brief history of film in the North Caucasus. I I did a bunch of research and actually there's a lot of uh films that were made in the Caucasus by Caucasians uh but primarily in the South Caucasus during the Soviet Union, years of the Soviet Union. Uh obviously in general you know, the 1920s and 30s and on, that's where 
TV and film was taking off around the world. Um, but uh, there was a thriving film industry in Georgia and Armenia and Azerbaijan taken off from those, those years. And those were still in the Soviet Union. That's right. Yes. Um, and so uh, I don't know, listeners, if many of you have watched Soviet films, but Soviet films are great films. Uh, they're like, I mean, good, clean, fun, kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know what imperson- impression you would have of a Soviet film, but like, they're all watchable and like, there's not going to be anything super raunchy. Um You'll yeah. just be wondering, did they do that effect with clay or with animation? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the the two things I just wanted to hit, I'm, we're not going to do a like full-out history of film made in the North Caucasus, but there were two uh, directors that were very famous in the Soviet Union who made films uh, from the North Caucasus. The first uh, is Otar Ioselani. Ioseliani, he was Just Georgian. Just it off the tongue, man. Yeah, and I'm not even sure I'm getting that last name right. I think I am. Otar Ioseliani. Uh, but he was from Georgia, uh, born in 1934, and he produced 22 different films. Um, oh. He won several different Cannes Awards at the, uh, at the Cannes Festival and other international film festivals, the Berlin Munich Festival. I didn't know that all these international film festivals existed right. until this, but... Uh, he listen to this quote he has. This is so interesting. You know, in the West, we often when we think about Soviet Union, we think about how, you know, they were censored and they were only allowed to release certain kinds of content that kind of fell in line with, you know, what the Soviet Union right. said was acceptable. But listen mm-hmm. to this uh and uh Otar Ioseliani, he actually eventually moved out of Georgia because he was so frustrated with some of the censorship on some of his films and he moved to France and continued producing films there. But listen to this quote he says about censorship in the West. He says, censorship in the West is like everywhere else. It forces my colleagues to follow certain rules. The first rule being the box office. He's referring to which? And he's talking about uh, like Western Europe and United States. That there's censorship there, but that it's it's what it's it's whatever makes the most money. So let me say that again. Okay, okay. Sorry. Censorship in the West is like everywhere else. It forces my colleagues to follow certain rules. The first rule being the box office. So he's saying there's there's censorship, but it's kind of self imposed um, economic censorship, basically. Yeah, and basically like the best kind of movies are the movies that make the most money. And probably lots of film directors would disagree with that, you know, but maybe the movies that get the most hype and backing in the West are certain kinds, you know? Right. So, so, okay. I got it. So, so the movies that end up getting made are the ones that make money. Therefore you only make movies that make money. Right. That's right. Yeah. So anyways, I thought it was interesting. Um, kind of, yeah, his perspective. Yeah. So that's Otar. Io Celiani, and then a second famous... So, wait, so can you back up for a sec? So yes, you said yes. he ended up leaving because of the censorship. Were his films anti-Soviet? Um, Were they pro, like, did he have a particular message? You know, what was it that, that he was being censored over? Or are you going to get to that? I, you know, he, some of his two most favorite films, which we're going to do our best to link for you to see, uh, viewers, 
or <laughs> listeners who are going to become viewers <laughs> when you watch this, uh, watch these movies. But one was called Once Upon a Singing Blackbird, and another is called Pastorale, um, or Pastorel. But yeah, they were kind of dealing with the realities of that time in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think maybe in a way that didn't necessarily portray the Soviet Union in a positive light. And so I think that's where kind of some of the censorship came in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that's Otar. And then uh, a second famous director from the Caucasus, Sergei Parajanov. Parajanov. Uh, he's actually Armenian, but he also is from Georgia, Tbilisi, Georgia. Um, he was born in 1924. He also he produced 18 different films in his lifetime. Um, fascinating. He made films in four different languages, Armenian, yeah. Georgian, Ukrainian, and Russian. Wow. Um, and he was actually a lot more controversial than Otar, uh, the, the Georgian director, because his style of film, for lack of a better word, I watched one of them, his most famous one, and to me, like, I'm a meat and potatoes, simple kind of guy, <laughs> and it was just weird to me. <laughs> and basically it's like this um it's a genre it's it's very uh metaphorical and symbolic the kind uh-huh. of films he makes yeah and so he actually was in prison for 5 years during i think it was the 60s for the types of films he was producing don't wow. don't quote me on those years so his two most famous films one is called the color of pomegranates and the other is the legend of siram fortress um, but we're going to, we're going to do our best to link, have links for you guys to check those out. And there's two really good articles about these guys' lives that we'll link as well. So what kind of stuff was, has been in Caucasus films that you watched? I mean, what kind of content came out if it, if it wasn't, and maybe it was just kind of pulp. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, there were definitely a, I, I watched a good number of Caucasus films. Uh, to kind of prepare for this podcast. And a a good number of themes came out. I mean, basically they show real life and often those movies were set in, like you said, a historical context and setting to reflect what was happening in that time. So Mm -hmm. some of the themes I saw were um, basically conflict of worldviews when two different worldviews kind of met and there was this misunderstanding. Yeah, that was there. And that often... The the world Those view are movies conflict. about tourists. Those are all Americans visiting the Caucasus. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we can relate in a in a small fat f- form of fashion. Uh, but uh, often the different worldviews, conflicting worldviews, uh, were connected with the different nationalities and like traditions of uh, kind of ethnic groups in the Caucasus. Uh, so that was one. Uh, in almost all of them, it was set in the context of war, some really? kind of. Yeah, like extended conflict, which, you know, we've talked about on this podcast. I mean, all throughout the history of this land and these peoples, there's been fighting for the lands. Um, And probably people know about conflicts from the late 90s, early 2000s, and that's it. But in the the corporate consciousness of Caucasians, um, there's a lot of wars that they have that they're close to. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then another one was kind of with s- society changing, that conflict, which really is universal, of 
trying to preserve long-held traditions amidst a society where change, rapid change is happening and coming and how those two things exist side by side. Um, yeah, so those were some of the themes I saw. Um, you kind of touched on this briefly, Eli. Why do you think, like, why why is film so powerful? Uh, yeah. Like, why is it used to communicate Right. Uh, and how does it do that? Uh, things about even like an entire land or culture. Sure. I, I think, I mean, I think all art c- has its own, you know, way of communicating and affecting us. Um, but I would say by and large overall, um, down through history for sure, the most powerful artistic expressions always have been narrative, meaning that there's some story that they're telling. I, I think, I think all art does that. Um, but in particular, hmm. <clears throat> um, artistic expressions that tell challenge or, or, um, envision a, a kind of s- story or narrative, um, are the most compelling to us. So even a, even a, a two dimensional painting, even an abstract painting if you go into it enough, it's saying something about the world. It's saying something about yeah. your, you know, our lives. And that may be very far removed, but I think film um, is the most immediate way that we are, get caught up in, in the idea of a narrative. And huh. um, in particular, you know, uh, I think people tend to respond very strongly to meta narratives um, by which I mean, a st- an overarching story that we plug ourselves into. I mean, that's not obviously yeah. a unique thought to me, but what's we all have place? them. Yeah. What's yeah. my place and where do I, how do I know what my place is? And so, um, I think, I think art is one of the first places that we learn that actually. And so mm. films can very potently, you know, not just both with, with visual, with audio, um, and, and just the human um, component. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you can be so intimate. You can right, say, yeah. you know, with film, you can see things that you would never otherwise see. Or um, I think that that can awaken our imagination so powerfully to a possibility or uh, a yeah. reality. Huh. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is, I mean, I honestly don't really think about films as art but yeah it's basically telling a story and films are not just presenting information they're they're telling and showing a person's story and it's so much easier for us to have sympathy or compassion or understanding when we kind of can enter that story of somebody else and even documentaries Mm -hmm. i mean the reason people make documentaries is the same reason people (laughs) make news you know it's to it's not to spin the story, but it's to tell the story a certain way. <laughs> and right, yeah. Uh, I mean, I just think even something as innocuous as March of the Penguins. Do you remember <laughs> that documentary? Yes, yeah. Um, with the the narr- narrator was um, uh, Morgan Freeman, and yeah, you know, and it's just incredible for the nature and da da da. But but they're telling a story about planet Earth from yeah. the point of view of the penguins and endangerment and so on and so forth. So like there's a narrative there and, mm. and it p- puts us somewhere when we, when we watch it, whether we accept it or not. So yeah. every film, you know, is going to do that 
fictional or non-fictional. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, listeners, I'm going to recommend kind of five different films for you to check out. And we're going to provide links for you for all of them to see. But it is interesting how you said, Eli, um, how we get drawn into the story. Definitely of these five I'm recommending, three of the five, I was so drawn in uh, on an emotional level. Uh, like to the point that I'm pretty sure in one of them I was crying. Like, I mean, it was just so touching, you know? Like, it's okay. You can admit that. It's okay. Um, yeah, but like <laughs> movies have that effect on us. Um, yeah. So good stuff. Um, okay. Well, Listeners, I'm going to recommend five different films for you that portray some aspect of the North Caucasus. Um, wait, some of them portray were set in the South Caucasus, like in Georgia, but it, there's still a lot of similarities as far as like the beauty of the land and the types of traditions uh, that are being upheld. Um, so I'm going to list them off here and we'll have links in the show notes. Um, the first is the most modern of all of them. It's called Tangerines. And this was, this came out in 2013, uh, but it's set in 1991, 92 uh, in Abhazia, which is far west of the, it's the far western part of the Caucasus. In Russia. Um, in Russia, yeah. And okay. it was a, it's over the conflict of land in that time between Georgia and Abhazia. And mm. this movie shows so well the conflict and misunderstandings between different Caucasus ethnicities. It has Georgians in it, Abhazians, Estonians, Russians, and Chechens. Um, and <laughs> like it is the beginning of a long, complicated and bad joke. Wow. It, it's really, it's a war movie, but there's honestly very little violence. There's a couple scenes, uh, but it's about kind of in this wartime conflict where, where enemies have to get to know each other and understand each other. And it, it's, it may not make as much sense to you if you don't live in the Caucasus living in the Caucasus. I thought it was so well done. Um, cool. Yeah, so uh, recommend. Want to recommend that one? That's the only one so far I've not been able to find uh, one with an English with English sub- subtitles. So we're going to keep uh, working on that. Um, and and this was made not only about Caucasus. Are these by Caucasus directors or writers? Do you know? This was actually this was an Estonian Georgian film. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So in the film, there's interaction. There's dialogue in the Estonian language in the Russian language. Um, I think in the Abhazian language too. Um, is there a connection between Estonia and Georgia? Cause Estonia is far nope. away. No. Yeah. But former Soviet union and it, it does show like in the days of the Soviet union, that Georgia and Estonia were part of the Soviet union. And so uh, different uh-huh. nationalities were living all over the Soviet union. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's one tangerines. Um, the second is called Svani. S-V-A-N-I. Svani. But the Svans, yeah, the Svans are, uh, that they is are a big white birds. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not swans, Svans. Svans. Uh, they're a nationality that lives in the mountains of Georgia. And um, this is a fascinating movie about their kind of traditions and some of the best parts of them and some of the worst parts of them. Uh, and how 
it shows the story of a Russian entering entering into their society and life and just trying to make sense of it all. Um, what so year was it made? This, is, uh, this was made during the Soviet Union. Okay. Um, yeah. So th- this is a pretty heart-wrenching one, just to give you a uh, heads up, listeners. Um, but we have that with English subtitles. Um, it's set in the mountains of Georgia. Absolutely beautiful scenery. Um, also, this film is done in both the Georgian and Russian language. Um, with English subtitles. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Svani, that's the second. Uh, the third is called Father of a Soldier. Mm-hmm. This is a classic Soviet war film. Uh, and it's just, it's a good war film. And it's about uh, a Georgian man who goes to the front to find his son because he got a letter that he was injured. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie is about the father's search for his son. Um, and it's, if you speak Russian, it's pretty hilarious because the father's, uh, he's Georgian. His Russian is terrible. Oh. Uh, and so like, it's really funny listening as somebody who speaks Russian, listening to his Russian. Um, and it's set, you know, in the forties in Russia. So you can even hear some of the language that's used is kind of older Russian. Okay. Um, some of the phrases you won't hear today. So, uh, and that, Again, that kind of just shows, you know, the Caucasus people were, they were a part of the Soviet Union and they were, a lot of Caucasus people fought and died in World War II, but they were also very different than Russians as well. Um, Right. So that one's included. Fourth is called Kidnapping Caucasus Style. And this is a, this is one of the classic, classic comedies from the Soviet era. Wow. yeah, th- this is a this is a funny movie, and it basically satirically in a funny way shows some of the traditions of the Caucasus, um, including it, it's actually kidnapping. It's, yes, like bride ki- bride napping. Bride napping. Yes, we talked about yeah. that in my class today. Actually, okay, at nice. the university. Yeah. Um. So this is uh, kind of slapstick humor. During the Soviet Union, uh, there were these three characters. They're basically like the Three Stooges, but in Russian comedies. And <laughs> oh, those I guys are in this. These guys are in this film. Um, but th- this is a funny film. It shows like uh, so many. My, my wife and I were laughing a lot watching it. So many of the Caucasus just uh, stereotypes. Um, so that, that's a good, good uh, clean Russian comedy. Uh, Soviet comedy. And then the last is called Prisoner of the Mountains. Ooh, dum-dum-dum. Yeah, and this is actually based on a book that Leo Tolstoy wrote. It's called Prisoner of the Mountains. In Russian, it's called uh, Kavkazki Plenik. Um, Prisoner of the but, Caucasus. That's right. In, in Russian. But in English, it's called Prisoner of the Mountains. Yeah. Interesting. Um, this was made in the 90s, um, and it's, again, it's set in a wartime setting and it kind of shows that conflict between the Caucasus mindset and culture and the Russian mindset and culture. Um, so yeah, we'll have a link link for that one as well. Um, so yeah, listeners, uh, I hope you get a chance to check some of these out. I mean, it's a time commitment. Um, but, uh, watching all these will definitely kind of help you learn something new about this great region where we live. Well, and Andrew, I mean, in the last couple of weeks, we've had at least, I, I think of two listeners contact us to tell us that they're now seriously considering visiting 
the mm. North Caucasus, which is super cool. But what a great way to like prime the pump and, you know, get the juices flowing. Um, yes. To some movies. Like they, they saturate you for a little bit. Yeah. And then, yeah, and that, then you have a, good. a feeling for it. Yeah. Yeah. So check that out. And, um, Again, this is all going to be in the show notes, listeners. Um, we're going to have a lot of like good links and things for you to check out. And let us know what you think. Give us your thoughts and impressions. And if you know of other um, films, let us know too. And we'll yeah, there are some there are some film websites out there that have extensive lists about Caucasus films. Uh, and yeah, so I kind of picked and chose, I I watched some of these and this is what I'm recommending, but I'll try to link some of those for those of you who would like to even explore it further. If you want to check that out. And just on a practical note, would you advise, you know, viewer discretion and parental kind of alertness with most of these or are most of them that you found pretty, uh, family friendly? Uh, I mean, probably not, the, probably not the war films. Yeah, the war films. There, there's, they're not nearly as probably violent as you would see in the West, but still they're kind of set in a more warlike setting. So, like, you, sure. people are killed in some of them. Um, so just be aware of that. Yeah. So in that sense, I would say it's probably not for kids to watch. the The comedy is pretty funny. Uh, right. Kidnapping Caucasus style. Yeah. Can you, uh, do you have any of those sites that you recommend? Websites? Yeah. So we're going to, most of the films are linked on YouTube. Uh, and then I found this amazing site. It's called Mubi. Mubi. That's like my young child trying to say movie. Yes. I think they like named cold. it like that because it's, let us say Mubi. it's similar, but it's M U B I. And the best way I thought, to like describe this to people is it's an exhaustive exhaustive Netflix type website for Indian foreign films. Oh, sorry. I heard Indian. Indie and Indie. Foreign. Indie and okay. foreign Independent. films. Independent. Got it. Not Indian for, foreign, foreign films. Foreign and Indie films. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Yeah, but they cool. it's a huge, huge um website and it's more descriptions of films. You can like get a subscription and be watching different films at different times. Um, but they have different categories for people looking for films and they have a whole category section of films made about the Caucasus. It's like 180 films total. Sweet. <laughs> Basically every film ever. Yeah. Wow. So well, movie. I've got some good cold weather activity now. There, so there you go. Line up and snuggle down and hang out on movie. Good job, Andrew. That that's really cool stuff. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't seen any of these yet. So, yeah, I was. I've heard of some of them, but this is the first time I've really dove. Yeah, dived, dived in, dived it, divin. Uh, <laughs> hey, Eli, do you have a news minute for us? <gasps> hey, we're going to transition today? to a news minute, guys, listeners. I am. Um, have something really heavy hitting today. I know we try and keep it light, but um, I have come across an article. Uh, the headline is, I'm going to let you fill in the blank, Andrew. The strongest blank in the world lives in Dagestan. The strongest, I'll give you three choices. Okay. The str- All right, ready? The strongest yes. man, uh-huh. the strongest cat, or the strongest <laughs> grandmother? 
I mean, Dagestan prides itself on its wrestlers and fighters. So the obvious answer is man, but man. I feel like this is a trick question. <laughs> and it's not cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which of these does not belong? So I'm, I'm on, I'm on uh, the strongest grandmother in the world lives in Dagestan. Wow. Now, we hear, we've mentioned that we hear claims of things all the time. Right. This is actually documented. Um, her name is Sakinat Hanapayeva. Uh-huh. And there's, a, <laughs> there's like a, flur- a, a blurry, like 300 pixel f- photo of her <laughs> with one arm holding this long like brass rod that actually goes outside of the frame of the picture. Um, so she awesome. has actually been recorded in the Guinness Book of World Records unbeknownst to her. <laughs> she, she didn't even know she was in it. She probably um, doesn't even know what that book is. Um, well, she does now. <laughs> she lives in um, yeah, a village in Dagestan, doesn't even own her own house. Um, but here's, here's what it says. I quote, Grandmother lifts and throws up kettle balls, twists metal objects, and tears thousand pages dictionaries. <laughs> that is a literal... <laughs> Translation of this great little wow. website. Um, wow. It says she has great memory. She loves to read. You got it. Pushkin and Gamzatov, who we'll talk about in our next episode on music. Yes, Gamzatov. Rasul, yeah. uh, I did not say that. Gamzatov. Rasul yeah. Gamzatov, the, the most famous Dagestani uh, author, a poet. Um, mm-hmm. And herself, she writes poetry, which, which keeps her young. So... Um, here's what's interesting. They say not only does she have physical power, but she has spiritual power. Now this is on a website called Islam.ru. So this obviously Uh features, uh, articles about Islam, but she has a a three generation old Quran. And that's obviously in, in their view, uh, in her view tied to her prowess. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if you've ever heard people, you know, talk about the oldest person and the strongest. They're always asking, like, what's your secret, right? Right. So, Andrew, what is your secret? If someone to ask you, what is your secret to your, 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 your exemplary health and fitness? What, what's something you do that keeps you, keeps, keeps you oiled? And This is only a rhetorical question because I don't have exemplary health or fitness. <laughs> I would probably like reference some either eating habit or exercise right. discipline I had. Right. I had a friend in college who, who I, was I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine I might. Ah, come on, man. You did the whole 30, right? Last year. I did year? the whole 30 last year. Whole that 30. was grueling. Was a long time ago. But it did wonders. Anyway, I, I had a friend in college who heard like, you know, this 120 year old man said he swallowed a garlic clove every day. So she was just like, we're, uh. we're doing this. And I did it once and lived to tell about it. So yeah, but uh, grandma, grandmother has never been to the hospital, never had health problems, she says. Um, and my favorite line is, fruits replace her medicine. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. But if that weren't enough, her son is of one of nine children is also in the Guinness Book of World Records. I mean, that's impressive. He is... Omar Hanapayev, famous strongman who, quote, has the most powerful jaws in the world. Reference 1970s James Bond movie. 
or eight. Wow. He pulls with his teeth, trains, planes, and ships, and also twists and bends nails into heart shapes. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, so um, it sounds like a song. He oh. pulls, trains, planes, and ships. Uh, we, I th- he deserves a song if there are not songs written about him. So we, maybe we'll... There's got to be more information about this guy. We've got to find sure. a video of him or something this, doing this. This is a short little vi- uh, article which will be linked. But So that's our news minute. Strongest. I know we've talked about grandmothers before, but there, there are some good grandmas out here. Runs in the family. Strength. Runs in the family. So that's awesome. Pulling ships with his teeth. Thanks well, for that. Well, that's all I got. That's all I got for yeah. today, man. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, that was great. So that was the first episode of several of our miniseries about the arts in the North Caucasus. And so it. next up is going to be music. Is that right? That's right, man. All right. Eli is our resident music expert. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what he's going to bring to the table. I'm excited to hear what I'm going to bring. <laughs> but we'll get to that next time. Awesome. All right. Well, listeners, uh, keep the feedback coming. We're starting to hear from more of you. Uh, through our email address, which is podcast at caucustalk.com, C-A-U-C-A-S talk.com. The reviews are slowly but surely upticking on iTunes. That's right. That's uh, right. I think we have, at this point, eight ratings and five reviews. Five five-star reviews. four times a day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you are enjoying this podcast, definitely go on there, leave us a review. That's just going to help us... Um, kind of expand the listenership listener right, base yeah um and uh we we love hearing from you so uh hope you enjoyed today's episode uh again this is caucus talk your source for culture history and tourism in the north caucasus mountains of russia now go watch the movies and we'll see you when you get here <laughs> <laughs>